And then um, later on it came out that they were canceling. Now, I was walking to practice. So I was walking to go go to practice. I got a phone call right before I went into our practice facility and was told that it was all canceled. So that was one of the hardest moments I've had, or that was the hardest moment I had as a head coach, having to walk in there and tell the team and be strong and not set a tear because of all our blood, sweat, tears for all this time. But um, have to tell the team that, you know, that our season's over. I mean, we had done so well. I did everything I asked. I think I think we were actually ranked for like 18 weeks. And to end at number 12, that was the best we had ended since I was in college, since my senior year. Um, so it was devastating. It was one of the hardest moments I've had as a coach. And it didn't hit home until probably two weeks after that. Because it was kind of surreal at first. It was like, is this happening in our world? Like, I didn't think it would ever cancel athletics. I mean, because that is something you would never imagine that happening in America. I would think that we're a country that <laughs> it can't really happen to because our medicine and stuff, it has to be vaccination. Yeah. So I think it's just surreal that, like, in our country with this day and age and how advanced we are in medicine, and we're supposed to be the wealthiest country in the world, it just it, it amazes me how this is even possibly happening in our country. It's I just, just don't think it took it seriously. One of the bright young head coaches perfectly summing up the sentiments that so many people have in the world right now going through a very difficult time. This is Adeshina Koiki, and you're listening to the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast, episode number 41 in your ear right now. And before we go any further, we hope that everybody listening is taking every precaution to stay safe right now amidst the coronavirus pandemic and our sincere Thoughts and sympathies go out to those who currently are quarantined and are hospitalized because of the complications of COVID-19. And uh, we express our sincere condolences uh, to those who have passed away uh, due to the complications of COVID-19. And uh, during difficult times in our country and in the world as well, usually people turn to sports to regain some sense of normalcy in their lives going back to uh, World War II and baseball and uh, the JFK assassination and the National Football League and 9-11 uh, as well. But even sports has ground to a halt. But that won't stop us from providing to you some of the captivating stories in sports. And a lot of sports talk will ramp up the podcast uh, over the next uh, few months, talk with some of the movers and shakers in the sports world, as well as people not affiliated uh, in the sports world, but will shed a light on topics that are definitely relevant uh, amidst the coronavirus pandemic and things to look out for and to be mindful of uh, during this time as well. So uh, we're going to bring on guests from a wide spectrum and talk about a lot of different topics. Uh, but for our podcast uh, today, episode number 41, the voice you heard at the very beginning uh, of this podcast belonged to the head coach of the Arizona Wildcats women's basketball team and the program's all-time leading scorer as well, Adia Barnes, former WNBA professional and champion uh, back in 2004 uh, with Seattle. And before we talked about what made her team this season one of the top teams in the Pac-12 and one of the top teams in the country, we talked about 
reaching out to her family and friends in Italy, uh, one of the hardest hit countries uh, in terms of the coronavirus. She has family there. She has friends there. Uh, her husband, Salvo Coppa, uh, grew up in Italy uh, and is the assistant coach, one of the assistant coaches at the University of Arizona as well. So uh, we talked about reaching out to her family and friends and uh, so far, uh, all of her family and her friends that are in Italy uh, are doing okay. So she talks about that at the very beginning of our interview. We also talked about what made the Arizona Wildcats one of the top teams in the country this season. It's hard to crack into the upper half of the Pac-12 in terms of women's basketball with Oregon and Oregon State. Uh, Stanford, of course, and UCLA, the Wildcats did break into that top tier. Um, we chatted with Adia Barnes about what made her team special, what made Ari McDonald, the two-guard for the Arizona Wildcats, so special. She won the Ann Myers-Drysdale Award as the best shooting guard in the country. Uh, we also talked about the surprise proposal uh, that her boyfriend sprung on Ari McDonald uh, during the Pac-12 tournament and whether Coach Barnes knew about that as well. Uh, and we also talked a little bit about whether the East Coast bias or West Coast bias is real as she did hit on the fact that uh, her team did not get as much notoriety as she thought she should. And I asked her uh, whether that's because of the location of the University of Arizona as well. So a wonderful conversation that we had with the head coach of the Arizona Wildcats, Adia Barnes, 24 and seven on the season, 12 pack 12 victories for the first time since 2004 at Arizona. So uh, our feature interview in just a couple of seconds, the head coach of the Arizona Wildcats women's basketball team, Adia Barnes. So sit back, relax, enjoy the podcast. I know you will, and we'll see you at the very end of the show. Over the past five years or so, the Pac-12 has been inarguably, almost inarguably, the best conference in the country in regard to women's basketball. And unless you reside in Eugene, Oregon, Corvallis, Oregon, Los Angeles, or Palo Alto, California, it's been pretty tough to crack into the upper echelon of the standings in the Pac-12. The 2020 season saw the Arizona Wildcats do just that. 12 Pac-12 wins for the first time since 2004, 24 wins on the season, and they were ranked in the AP poll for 15 consecutive weeks for the first time since the turn of the century, the 1999-2000 season. And joining us right now on the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast is the program all-time leading scorer, as well as the fourth-year head coach of the Arizona women's basketball team, 2020 Naismith Trophy Coach of the Year finalist, Adia Barnes, joins us on the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast. First of all, Coach, thank you so very much for joining us. First and foremost, how are you and your family doing right now at this time? Well, we are good, and thank you for having me. Um, we're really good. I think it would be a lot more difficult if you're in a place without a lot of sunshine. So it's 75, 80 degrees here. Um, so lockdown isn't as bad sitting outside. But, you know, it's just a tough moment for everybody in America, obviously. But we're making the best of it. Uh, and a lot of fans are familiar with uh, your journey through professional basketball, played at University of Arizona, played in the WNBA, won a championship uh, with the Seattle Storm as well. And you, like a lot of professional basketball players, 
played overseas and you spent time uh, in Italy as well. And I just wanted to make sure to ask you, do you know people uh, in Italy, given everything that's been going on with the uh, coronavirus pandemic and the massive toll uh, that it has taken on Italy specifically, your husband as well, Salvo, uh, born and raised in Italy as well. Uh, Have you been able to reach out uh, to people uh, overseas in Italy to check in on them? So uh, update me on your attempts and your husband's attempts to reach out to family and friends uh, in Italy. Yeah, so every day, so all of my in-laws are there. Um, obviously, you know, I'm half Italian, I have an Italian passport, so obviously Italy is um, a place that's special in my heart. Um, every day we have daily calls multiple times a day. <laughs> Actually, we've been up to 3 in the morning because we had a call for in-law and we are worried, so we are lacking sleep today. But, um, yeah, so I think that for us, because of how close we are in Italy and talking to his family every day, like, all of his family. So there's not there's probably five people told out of his whole family that live in America and they live in Connecticut. Um, but and one lives in Florida. The rest, like grandma, grandpa, aunts, cousins, brother, everybody's in Italy. So we're seeing um, exactly the effect it's had and we're taking it more seriously because Italy's two or three weeks ahead of America. So all the stuff his mom tells us to do now or to do a few weeks ago we did and thankfully, we did it because, like, for instance, getting gloves or masks, we wouldn't be able to get that stuff now. So we're more sensitive just because of what's happening there. So we definitely are taking it probably above and beyond what everybody else in America is. Yeah. Uh, and your family and your husband's family, uh, they're in uh, Milan or what part of Italy? Uh... No, they're in Sicily. Well, so they're all through. So he's got family in North Italy, like his uncles, um, but the primarily his family is throughout Sicily, like in Palermo and in Syracuse. So that's in the south in Sicily. Oh, gotcha. Uh, Again, thank you so very much uh, for that update. And my apologies for the not so graceful segue back to uh, basketball, given uh, everything that so many people across the world are going through right now with uh, the pandemic. But uh, I also did want to talk with you uh, about basketball and your Wildcats this season, uh, 12-6 and six in Pac-12 play in the top 15 in the country in the Associated Press Poll uh, for a good chunk uh, of this season. Uh, you made it to the semifinals of the Pac-12 tournament, got to the semifinals, had a tough game against the University of Oregon. Uh, your conference tournament, the Pac-12 conference tournament, is a week before a lot of the conference tournaments in college basketball. So you were expecting a week of maybe practice and getting ready for the NCAA tournament, possibly hosting uh, in the first couple of rounds of the NCAA tournament. And then, of course, uh, the uh, NCAA tournament uh, was canceled. Uh, What were your last words to the team when was your last i guess overall meeting with the team uh did it come after uh it was announced that the ncaa tournament uh would be canceled and what did you say to your team um after a wonderful season that you weren't able to complete the way you had envisioned or might have envisioned uh this season what were your last words to the team as a team as a group well well the first thing is so before that we rewind like at the very end of the season after the Pac-12 tournament, you have, like, like you know you're going to have a couple of weeks. You have a week until the selection Monday. So we knew we were getting in the tournament, and it was just, um, we knew we were going to host the games at home and probably, as most likely, we didn't know our seeding, but most likely be a three seed. Um, 
so it was just kind of wait at that time. Now, during that week, there was talk. Everything was kind of breaking out and stuff was happening around the world, obviously not in America yet. But there was talk about possibly playing the NCAA tournament without fans. And I remember that was at the end of that first week. That was initially like, oh, my gosh. Well, that defeated the whole purpose of working so hard for home court advantage because for us, I knew we'd sell out the kale. So I was like, oh, that's a a sweet way to, you know, have an advantage to win a couple games and go to Sweet 16. Um, You know, like playing at home on your home court with, like, 15,000 Arizona fans. Very hard to win in this environment. So I heard that, that that was devastating in itself. And then um, later on it came out that they were canceling. Now, I was walking to practice. So I was walking to go go to practice. I got a phone call right before I went into our practice facility and was told that it was all canceled. So that was one of the hardest moments I've had, or that was the hardest moment I had as a head coach, having to walk in there and tell the team and be strong and not set a tear because of all our blood, sweat, and tears for all this time. But um, have to tell the team that, you know, that our season's over. I mean, we had done so well. I did everything I asked. I think I think we were actually ranked for like 18 weeks. And to end at number 12, that was the best we had ended since I was in college, since my senior year. Um, so it was devastating. It was one of the hardest moments I've had as a coach. And it didn't hit home until probably two weeks after that because it was kind of surreal at first. It was like, is this happening in our world? Like, what's happening? And then you always think it's going to get postponed or get, you know, like called and, and just rescinded, you know, but it was, it was very difficult. Speaking of that difficulty, just in general of knowing that the tournament would be played without fans and then canceled and having to uh, talk with the team uh, as well. Uh, you mentioned that Italy and other parts of the world were ahead in terms of having to uh, deal with the coronavirus. How difficult was it to coach at that time? Before really? even really, uh, before it really hit the United States, difficult. And, and I'm someone I lived overseas for 13 years. I'm just well rounded in that sense. I've lived in all kinds of different cultures and environments. I honestly, it's funny when you're in a country like America and so many resources of such a huge country, you kind of don't think it's ever going to happen here. And I think everybody has, has um, you know, they have like that feeling, like, oh, it'll never happen in our city. Oh, it won't happen to us. So I think it doesn't touch home until it touches someone near you. Yeah. So I, I understood that was happening in Italy, and I thought it would happen here. I didn't think it would happen the way it did. And the reasons why also, because living in Europe, it's, there's like a center. So I've never lived in Europe in a city where there isn't like a center where everybody goes, and it's a lot more social. Like in Italy, you kiss everybody. So I didn't think it would be like this here. Just because, like in New York, it makes sense because it's like, you're kind of on top of each other. You're walking by a huge city like Chicago. Um, I didn't think it would ever cancel athletics. I mean, because that is something you would never imagine that happening in America. I would think that we're a country that (laughs) it can't really happen to because our medicine and stuff, it has to be vaccination. So I think it's just surreal that, like, in our country with this day and age and how advanced we are in medicine, and we're supposed to be the wealthiest country in the world, it just... it amazes me how this is even possibly happening in our country. Yeah. Happening in our country. You know what I mean? Like I, absolutely. Like yeah. how we can't stop it, or by now how we don't. I would think by now we should have a 
I mean, if in China they can build a hospital in three days. Like, we yeah. can't have a vaccination in two or three months. Yeah, it's, it's I just, just don't think we took it seriously. No, not at all. And it was just overwhelming, especially we get jaded a lot because we hear about a lot of uh, plight going on in different parts of the world and there's almost just a sense of invincibility uh, in the back burner of our minds that oh this can't touch us not that we're actively thinking oh this won't come our way but when something like this does come our way uh, it just you know tears down so many perceptions and misconceptions that one might have had and it really uh, hits a lot of people when it actually hits them, that's when they kind of realize the gravity of the situation. And it's disappointing. I mean, it's going to change our, it's going to change our world. I think it's going to, honestly, I think it's going to make us have a touch of reality a little more. I think it's going to make everybody in America have a more sense of family, which we've lost in America. Yes. And I think it's going to also um, reset a lot of things. Our kids are going to be the cleanest kids ever because usually they're walking <laughs> Petri dishes. Yes. Um, I think they're going to learn how to wash their hands more. I think it's going to change handshaking and stuff. I really think it's going to change our world a lot like 9-11 did. We couldn't walk to the gates anymore. It changed us. Like, think of what 9-11 did. Pre-9-11, how are we traveling? It was very different. So I think that this is going to set us it's going to reset, like, everybody in the world, I think. No, uh, there is going to be a new normal. Uh, there isn't, I don't believe, going to be a back-to-normal, back-to-this. It's uh, A lot is going to be different. A lot is going to be yeah. very different. And I'm, I agree with you 100%. And uh, the perspective that you have uh, is definitely something that... Uh, we hope is shared by so many people. Uh, and again, uh, Dia Barnes, the head coach of the University of Arizona uh, women's basketball team, joining us. And uh, you are the all-time leading scorer uh, in the program, but there is a person on your team right now who, at the moment, <laughs> is on pace to break uh, your record. And Ari McDonald, uh, who averaged almost 25 points per game a couple of seasons ago, and then uh, this past season over 20 points per game. She missed some games because of a lower leg injury, but we got to see her uh, towards the end of the season just absolutely push through what I'm sure was a pretty painful injury. She missed what, 10 games uh, this season to uh, a number of games this season, I should say, uh, to put up some wonderful performances, the game-winning shot at, uh, against Stanford late in the season. Uh, what makes uh, Ari McDonald uh, so, so special for your basketball team? Uh, she's one of the toughest uh, guards to guard in the country. She's a great defender. What makes her uh, special in the way she plays basketball? Well, she's so um, fast and dynamic on both ends. So one thing you can't teach, can't teach height, can't teach quickness. Um, she has the quickness and athleticism. And then, so that's just something she innately has. But I think what's special about her and separates her from other great players is that she affects the game on both ends. So she can score. She's small, but she can get to the rim. She can finish well. She doesn't get her shot blocked a whole lot. Um, she weaves and maneuvers just through multiple defenders, and I think that's just her gift, her God-given talent. Um, but I think that what's unique is great players around the world, they're usually great on offense or they're great on defense. Like Gary Payton was great on defense. He was okay on offense. You know, there's very few Michael Jordan stuff, but they're not yeah. known for, like, being a defensive stopper. Um, I think that's what's special about her at the college level especially is she's a dominant on offense and she's dominant on defense. She's very hard to get the ball up against them. You know, when you're an offensive player and you're pressed by her, she's very hard. 
to get around. So I think that because she affects on both ends, and she's not a selfish player. She's not a only me, I want my points. She's a get my team involved and find a way to score and win. Um, and a good teammate, just all-around good person. So I think that there's so many things that make her special. Were you as surprised as she was uh, when her boyfriend proposed to her during the Pac-12 tournament? I was at that time. I knew it was going to happen. You like, did know? Year or two. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I didn't know it was going to happen at that game. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it would have happened probably like, within the next year. I didn't think that soon, but they talk about it, so I knew. But I honestly didn't think so until probably like the next year. So uh, I had no idea what was happening at that game. Wow. And she had the opportunity to go pro uh, at the end of the season, but she did announce that she is going to come back to Tucson and play her uh, senior season uh, at the University of Arizona. Did you, how much of a voice did you have in speaking with Ari about that process? And um, uh, at the very end of the day, what do you think made the difference in her deciding to come back compared to going to the next level? Well, I purposely didn't have a lot of say in the process because um, I didn't want to be the person that was trying to talk her into coming back because I wanted her to do what was best for her. And I knew we were going to be good um, regardless. But, you know, having her back, we were going to be a lot better. But I didn't want to be in a situation where I'm talking someone into coming back and they come back with half their heart. So I took a step back. I, I had a couple talks with her just about why I thought the best reason for her to stay was. Um, and it wasn't a me thing, it was a situational thing and what was going on and how I felt that she was only going to get better. And we're not talking now, I would be the first. If she had a chance like, to go and make $4 million this year, next year possibly she could only make two, I would be the first one to say, girl, you need to go. <laughs> you can always get a master's degree to pay for it with them, those millions. But that wasn't the case um, with women's basketball and her situation. So I gave my opinion that I purposely took a step back and wanted her to make the best decision for her. And so she did that on her time, on her terms, and um, then she can feel good about her decision. So I'm just happy. I think she made the right decision. Uh, I know it's the right decision. And look, there might not be a WNBA right now. And Europe is devastated. My husband's dad is a longtime coach in Italy in the top division, and half the team don't have money to compete next year. So I think that it's the best decision she made before all this even happened because of look what's happening in the world right now with women's basketball. Yeah. And she's only going to get better leave at the Masters, and her money is going to only increase. It's not going to decrease. And she's just going to become a better player the next year. Once again, Adia Barnes, the head coach of the Arizona Wildcats women's basketball team, joining us on the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast. And your team won two out of every three games in a really tough conference, the Pac-12. And... Uh, a number of teams in the past couple of years that are not in that top tier, or at least have not consistently been in that top tier, Oregon, Oregon State, uh, Stanford, UCLA, uh, a couple of teams have had really good non-conference portions of the season. I think Colorado's had a couple of undefeated non-conference seasons, and they weren't able to... Uh, carry that momentum into conference play. Utah last season had a wonderful non-conference. We talked with Lynn Roberts uh, last year. They defeated Stanford, defeated Arizona State early on in conference play, and then injuries more than anything uh, derailed their season last year. Uh, where did your team succeed 
in conference play where other teams weren't able to get over that hump once they got into conference play. Your team able to win uh, B12 and 6 in conference play. Was there any worry that a really good non-conference season, a win against Texas on the road, might not translate into success in the Pac-12? I guess for obvious reasons because of how tough it is. Is it okay if I eat No, sorry. Time? No, Sorry, like that. Um, um, no, I knew that we had momentum coming from conference. I thought that that was a staple win in Texas. Texas is a good team that would have probably been in the top half of our um, of our conference if they played in our conference. Um, I think that we had momentum and confidence going into the past twelve, which helped us win some games early. I thought we had a really tough beginning. We had a really tough beginning. Um, you know, schedule of our conference. And I think that us winning some of those games early helped us significantly. I think if you look back and we would have lost some of those early games, I think the Pac-12 would have been completely different for us. I also think that there's probably two games that we shouldn't have lost. Um, this is, I think the rest of the games, like we won the games we should have won. But I think two games we shouldn't have lost. So if we would have won those two games, it would have been even better. Um, we would have had a chance to possibly finish second. Yeah. But I think that you know, we did have some injuries. Aerie missed a couple games during the season. She played the last part of the season hurt. And then remember, we won a lot of games without our starting four player, who's one of our most important players. She's been a starter since she's been here. She starts with the four. She missed, like, six weeks of play. Wow. And we never talked about that because I didn't want to have an excuse to be a good enough team. But it was, a, it was hard not playing with her. We, it changed what we did. Oh. Uh, is that uh, Kate Reese or Sam? No, Dominique McBride missed, missed like, uh, gosh, she missed six weeks. She missed a lot of games, and probably like ten games. Uh, now, you mentioned some of the big wins that you had uh non-conference and in conference play. You mentioned Ari McDonald. Uh, she had what, over 40 points in that game against uh, the University of Texas, 44, I believe, uh, in that win uh, yeah. against uh, the Texas Longhorns on the road at the uh, Irwin Event Center. Uh, one of the teams in conference play that has been able to be at the top of the Pac-12 standings for a number of years is Arizona State. And I know that's a couple of dirty words talking to a wildcat. Um, I, I completely <laughs> yeah. understand that. Uh, did you use, at some point, did you use Arizona State as maybe a barometer outside of the fact that you want to beat them every single time you play them, knowing that Arizona State has been able to be in the top half of the Pac-12 standings for a number of years and that winning the, I guess, Territorial Cup uh, the women's basketball version uh, of the Territorial Cup will allow you to be in the top half of the uh, Pac-12 standing. So I'm just wondering, did you use maybe Arizona State at some point as maybe a, a barometer, knowing that if you're able to win your state, you'll be at the top of the Pac-12 standings? No, because I wasn't sure because the Pac-12 was so different every year, but I knew the Arizona State's always a good team. I knew they were going to have some good wins throughout the year. So I knew that beating them um, would only help us and kind of show us where we are because they're known for their toughness. They're known for um, being solid defensively. So I knew that that was a good test for us, especially the first game on the road, to see where we were at and to tell me how solid we were at that time. So, in, you know, we hadn't won there in like 20 years. We hadn't swept them in 20 years. So I think that was a big, that was a big thing for us. Um, and I wanted to also see what, our defense matched up as and how 
how how we were going to um, respond in their environment. That kind of told me more about where we're at. I think the Texas game kind of showed me, okay, we can beat anybody. But we also played, Aerie played a phenomenal game that game, which is not going to have 44 points every game. Yeah. So I wasn't sure how to measure that. But on the road to do it, and then to do it again at ASU, let me know that, okay, we can be pretty good because we're able to win these good games on the road. Um, but I think that the, I probably the game that let me know kind of where we're at a little more was going in the, being able to sweep ASU. So being able to win that second one was, I think, more important because we hadn't done that. And it was a test with pressure. We hadn't done that in 20 years. And so I think that was that showed me more of what we're made of because it wasn't just a fluke to winning the first time. Was that maybe the most pressure-packed game of the season, that second game against Arizona State? No. Um, I think that one of the most difficult games for us, not not because of, like, who we were playing. It wasn't the most talented team in the conference. I think our worst, so we had one of our biggest wins of the season was the last home weekend. Yes. It was against Stanford. That was our first time upsetting a, a top-five team. And then we turned around and had our worst loss that Sunday. We lost against a team that was last in the Pac-12, Cal. And so that was, like, devastating because it kind of erased our great win, having that bad loss. But I think one of the, I think one of the things that let me see how well our team was made up mentally was then the first game of the Pac-12 tournament was against Cal. And we had just played them the week before and got our butts kicked. So and that and Jalen Brown was a good player. She was a senior. So that kind of showed me where we were mentally. And Cal did. And we came out. And Cal did beat Arizona State in the first round uh, of the uh, conference tournament, and then you had to play them. Yeah. By yes, and um, but, but we had just got upset by them the week before on senior night, and they're not bad, and they were playing with nothing to lose. So I wanted to see how our mentality. They just kicked their butt on senior day, and they they outplayed us. I wanted to see what we were made of, how we were going to respond to that, and then knowing we had, you know, we had um, Oregon the next game. Once again, Adia Barnes joining us on the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast, University of Arizona women's basketball head coach, and as I said at the opening of this interview, a finalist for the Naismith Trophy Coach of the Year Award, uh, one of the four finalists, uh, and Dawn Staley at the University of South Carolina ended up winning uh, the award. What does that mean to you to be recognized by your peers and so many people involved in college basketball to be on a very short list uh, for uh, National Coach of the Year? I think it, I was surprised, actually. When I saw, like, the 10, I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. But then when I was a part of the Final Four, I was really surprised. I think because I didn't realize people were paying attention to what we were doing. I, uh, you know, I was I was amongst like Don Staley, who does a phenomenal job. She's like a great coach. Kelly Graves, Joe McEwen, like really experienced. Yeah, I'm the least experienced of that group. Uh, you know, but I think it was um, it was an honor just because they're recognizing what we're doing in my work. But I think um, I was surprised. Why did you... I didn't think I'd win it, so I knew I knew I wouldn't win it. But I was like, okay, whatever. I'm on the list. I, I knew I wasn't going to win it. Why do you think? Why do you think that you thought people might not have noticed what you were doing? Is it maybe just does it fall back to the old um, West East Coast bias, not oh. recognizing what's going on in the West, or uh, any reasons why you thought people might not be recognizing? No, I just I don't know. I just never thought about it. I guess I think I just you know you put your head down, you just kind of focus what you're doing. I didn't really, I guess I would have known that people were on the map because we're ranked, but I just feel like we've never really gotten the respect we should out here. 
just in general. And I, I really feel like a lot of people still didn't know us. And I, I really feel like a lot of people still didn't know who Ari was, despite all the numbers we were putting up, what she was doing. I think now they do. I think next year. But I really don't feel like on the East Coast they really paid a lot of attention. I, I think now they know who she is. But I, I think if she was somewhere else, they would know a lot more. I, I really do. So the East Coast bias is real. Mm, I think it's better now because now you look in our conference, like the five Niles and Nate Smith finalists, like they're all from our conference. Yes. The top five. So I think now it's going to change. And now that like a player like Sabrina stayed, she didn't go to UConn. She stayed and went to Oregon and they changed Oregon. Oregon had three All-Americans, three top five picks in the WNBA draft, I'm sure. They were stopped. So, um, so I think that now it's going to be different, but I think it's slowly changing. But I don't think it's where it needs to be. Uh, how does that change? Um, we have to win. We have to get good. I mean, our team has to go to the tournament and win some games. And, um, you know, we have to go be able to go to Texas and win those games. We've got to be able to go on the road to beat good teams. Oregon has to go to UConn and have a signature win. I think all those things we have to do. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things that has helped in terms of the exposure uh, is the Pac-12 network. And we got a chance uh, a couple of times to watch the uh, your team play this year. And it was so interesting to me, at least, that for, for a couple of games uh, on television, on the Pac-12 network, that, one, that the color commentator, uh, for some of the Arizona games, uh, was your head coach, uh, Joan Bavison, yeah. <laughs> um, who I'm sure has had a wonderful impact and had a wonderful impact on your career at Arizona and beyond. Uh, when Joan goes from head coach and guiding you and giving you instructions to broadcaster and you're sitting down with her for a uh, production meetings, and you're telling her what's going on. Are you excited? Is it surreal? Is it weird to have your coach now be a broadcaster and asking you questions? Uh, first, it was. I think you know one of the weird moments was when I first got the job. You know, she comes to see me in my office, and it's like the office she built <laughs> or she designed. <laughs> I think that was weird. It was like, holy crap! You know, like you designed this office, like this was yours. You sat at the set. I think that was just weird. But I think now I just see I'm blessed because, like, um, she's helped me so much. She gives me so much input. She supports. I'm able to turn to her when things are hard. Like, so to have someone like her in my corner and just to talk to her about program stuff, about different coaching situations, different strategy, and it, it's, like, a lifesaver for me. Like, it really helps because she's one – you know, 700, 800 games. Like, I don't know if I'll ever win that many games. So she's been through and dealt with every scenario that I could ever imagine. So she's a tremendous resource for me. Why are you so negative on yourself? You could be the all-time winningest head coach as well, as well as the leading scorer. Well, it's going to take me a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I started coaching. She started. She was like a head coach at like 22. I started coaching like 38. Power of positive thinking. You never know. I uh, know. I know. <laughs> right. uh, once again, Adia Barnes, the head coach of the Arizona Wildcats women's basketball team, joining us. Arizona coming off a 24-win season, a top-four finish. Uh, in the Pac-12 
12 standings and your team, and we hit on this a little bit earlier uh, about the international flavor uh, that your team has. I believe seven uh, different, seven international players uh, on your roster. How does that manifest itself on the court when you have so much diversity, uh, not just from an ethnic background, but in terms of nationality. How does that manifest itself on the court in terms of producing a good product? Well, it makes us, um, I like that because I think that's how the world is. I think that, you know, I'm exposing them to things and people that they'll, I mean, if you don't, most people, like, we're on the West Coast especially, it's not like we have a very large Muslim, like, population here. And I think that it's good to learn different cultures. I lived in Turkey. I lived in Israel. So I lived in Jewish culture. Then, you know, Muslim. I've lived all over the world. Then a Russian, like her, you know, it's like Russian Orthodox. So I've lived all over the world. So I think um, I'm giving them something and creating an environment where they're learning about other people. They're learning different people's cultures. We take them to restaurants where they have, you know, Turkish food. Um, you know, I think I like doing that because that's kind of who I am and it's how I changed my world. It's changed the way I raised my son, me living in from Russia to Ukraine to Portugal. I've lived all over the world. And I'm different because of that. And I feel like um, I'm better because of that. So I think that I think they're lucky. And I think it's a, it's a great thing. It makes us communicate more. It makes you, you know, it's, I love it when I come to practice. They're all learning Spanish words or teaching you know, our Spanish players bad words sometimes, but, uh, you know, they teach, they're learning Spanish words, and they practice, they'll say something. I, I think it's cool. Turkey, we had Iceland, uh, we had Latvia, you know, Australia. I think it's a great thing, and I think that um, I'm just happy that I can create an environment where they're, they're able to get these, because they're not going to get this in their life. Mm-hmm. They will never be in an environment where they got someone from Iceland, Latvia, Turkey, um um, Canada and somewhere else, they will never be in an environment like that, probably. Yeah, you have Spain, Spain represented on your team, correct, right? Yeah, Spain, two Spanish. So I don't think they'll ever be in an environment this close-knit group with all those cultures. Yeah. Uh, I think they're going to learn a lot from them. Yeah, uh, I know it's kind of hard to talk or difficult to talk about different places in the world to visit now because I guess a lot of our minds aren't there yet. We just want to get over uh, this pandemic and return to some sense of uh, normalcy in terms of thinking about the world and traveling. Uh, You mentioned all of your stops uh, overseas and experiencing so many different cultures. Uh, Any place or places that really stand out in terms of impact uh, on your outlook, on just the way you think about the world, any place or places or uh, delicacies that you might have had overseas that just kind of changed the way you think or just really made you just just stand and be in awe of the place and places that you're at overseas? I'm in Italy. It's part of that because, you know, because I had an Italian passport, my mom's family from Italy. I think that was such home because I was older and, you know, you want to visit more things when you're 20, you're not really thinking about those things. Yeah. <laughs> when you're 30, you're like, I want to go here, there, everywhere. But um, I, I'd say Italy, and then I'd say, like, just seeing those places, like going to Vatican City, seeing the Sistine Chapel, like, seeing things, seeing the Colosseum and where they, you know, got the idea of arenas, like, all those things, it's, you know, walking through Rome, it's like walking through a museum. So I'd say Rome, 
Um, I'd say Venice. I'd say all through Italy. It's probably my favorite place in the food and the culture. But also, I played in Ukraine when Ukraine was kind of like the undiscovered city. It's like it just it wasn't open for so many years because they had Chernobyl and all that stuff. So I think that was just unique to live there because there was no Americans and there were still closed cities. Um, but as far as beauty and culture and everything, I'd say Italy. Um, I never played in Spain, but Spain's an amazing country. Mm-hmm. But I'd say traveling. I'd say if you have to travel and if you have to check something off your bucket list, you must go to Italy. You must go to Rome. You must go to Venice. Um, but one of my favorite places in the world is Tormina, Italy. It's like the Amalfi Coast of Sicily. That's where, like, Kobe Bryant used to go. And you don't really know about it unless you're Italian, usually. And it's amazing. Wow. It's beautiful. Uh, given that this is a sports podcast, and given that you have talked so much about uh, Italy as well, I'm sure some people may be wondering, like, okay, some people meaning me, uh, do you have a favorite? <laughs> do you have a favorite Serie A team? Um, yeah. So, well, no, I don't really like because I didn't really follow <laughs> men's basketball there. No, basketball or soccer um, or soccer. If uh, I'm not a big soccer person, I did go to a soccer game in Milan. Okay, but I'd say like so for basketball for like the Serie A and basketball because I'm not really a big soccer fan. Yeah. Um, I would say the best women's club was Familia Schio. For many, many years, it's our penny tail. Like everybody played on that in that program, but you know it's funny. I'm married to the probably one of the few Italians that does not like soccer, and I'm so happy because <laughs> soccer is like four hours too long. So <laughs> I'm kind of happy about that. I chose, I chose wisely, right? <laughs> the best of both worlds, right? Uh, you get exposed <laughs> to the culture without being so immersed uh, in that specific culture that could cause a lot of friction. Uh, yeah, and it's like, they don't mess around with soccer there. Like, <laughs> it is like a serious, you can like die if you cheer for the wrong team in the wrong like parking lot. So it's too serious for me. It's like, they've, they've thrown like motor motorbikes, like those little uh, mopeds. Yes. They've thrown like mopeds in arenas from like the top. It's like crazy. I was like kind of scared of the game. Well, you're going to mess around over there. They do not uh, with their soccer and in Europe in general. So, uh, again, uh, good to not necessarily be immersed in that specific no. subset and part of uh, the culture. So uh, you played it right. Love Italy, but don't have any real fandom with soccer in any of the teams uh, for fear of reprisals from uh, fans <laughs> of rivals. I totally, totally get that. Um, and I guess I have a Serie A team, but I will not reveal that for fear of the same retribution. Uh, Adia Barnes, head coach of the Arizona Wildcats women's basketball team, a 2020 Naismith Coach of the Year finalist. Thank you so very much for taking the time out uh, to join us and be a part of this wonderful interview. And you made it uh, a wonderful interview. Best of luck and success to you and the Wildcats uh, going forward. And again, thank you so very much for joining us. And please continue uh, to stay safe and uh, wish you and Salvo and four-year-old Mateo, who made a couple of appearances uh, (laughs) on this podcast as well. You might have heard him. Uh, We absolutely hope and pray and wish for all the best for you and your family and thank you once again for the time thank you very much for having me
Shrewd move by Coach Barnes for not swearing any allegiance to any Serie A team, especially given the frenzied nature of the fandom associated with it. Uh, we sincerely thank head coach of the Arizona Wins basketball team, Adia Barnes, for joining us for a very insightful interview and made our podcast, episode number 41 of the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast, so very special. And this podcast, as well as a feature on Adia Barnes, will be up online on alotsofsportstalk.com. So please visit our website. You can also follow us on social media. Uh, our Instagram handle is alotsofsportstalk, one word. We also have an A Lot of Sports Talk Facebook page, and you can follow us on Twitter uh, at ALOST, A-L-O-S-T, underscore official. You can follow me personally at Koiki, K-O-I-K-I, underscore sport. We're going to have a few stories uh, up in the next few days, including Snap Judgment uh, feature stories. That's our uh, photography section where we have... Our photographers go to games and cover games and provide some wonderful photos from the games. We're going to publish some never-before-seen photos from games in the past year from our photographers. Uh, and we are also, as we said, going to ramp up the number of podcasts we're going to produce for you as well. So we have a few wonderful guests lined up over the next few weeks. So again, just head to a lot of sports talk.com. You can also follow us on Apple Podcasts if you want to Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts as well as Google Play Music. Again, thank you so very much for joining us for episode number 41 of the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast, episode number 42 to come very shortly. Well, we have no choice to produce episode number 42 shortly because we'll be home and we'll be doing a lot of interviews. And most importantly, we hope you're staying home and staying safe. Please follow the precautions to keep yourself safe. Wash your hands. Keep your distance if you can from people at least six feet. And also reach out to people as well just to check in on them to see how they're doing. Again, thank you so very much for joining us for the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast episode number 41. My name is Adesina Koiki and we will see you soon. Thank you again. You take care. Bye-bye.